Welcome to the 12 Days of Edition Wars. In this year's series, we will be taking a deep dive into the things we love about this game and why we love them. On the eighth day of Edition Wars, my DM gave to me, uh, well, a favorite adventure tropes, uh, including maids of milking, right? I'm, I'm always a, a fan of dairy right. products as yes. a general rule. Um, maybe some dairy products in my coffee tonight, just saying. Yeah. I, I, however, like Piper's piping and drummer's drumming, you know, I'm all about the band. You can't have those on day eight. I know. Samuel. I'm, patient, I'm patiently waiting. <laughs> uh, we get there, you know, just, just stick with us. All right. So. So. Uh, so do we need to define adventure trope first? Uh, we can certainly set up a structure to discuss that. Can we define it without spending three hours? That is not my experience of TV tropes. No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just making sure. TV tropes is a website that you go to if you have a week <laughs> and nowhere to be. Mm-hmm. Important rule of blogging. Do not link to TV tropes. It is an act of violence. Right. Also, um, it will suck you down the spiral and you'll be in a TV trope vortex for hours. But anyway. Oh, yes. Yes. So, right. Um, I, I'll toss out one that I, uh, a few that I always really like. Okay. They're, they're partly adventure tropes and partly just world building elements, mm-hmm. I guess, mm-hmm. as, a, as a real um, like gray space there. If you're taking a very sort of loose, the adventure is whatever the players decide mm-hmm. to investigate approach, right? Sure. Um, so uh, I love villains that have a true death state rather than like any old stabbing will kill them, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So you have to destroy the soul gem. You have to right, right, right. put a stake through the heart, mm-hmm. uh, whatever that might be. Right. So I, I, a special I way to destroy them is the right. actual trope there. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I think that's always a lot of fun. What I especially like about it is that uh, one, it means that, uh, you know, garden variety stabbing won't mm-hmm. do the job. Right. Right. You yeah. have to mm-hmm. be more creative than that. Yeah. Uh, so you might need to do some research. I like like research and having to investigate and explore stuff. Um, and uh, thirdly, uh, it means that you might interact with the villain in multiple contexts, right? Mm-hmm. You might encounter them at a time when, like, yeah, we don't have the thing yet. There's no point in even starting this fight. We can't right. kill the villain and mm-hmm. the villain, like, probably can't kill us. We're not really even inconveniencing them. So I guess we'll have a talk instead. <laughs> um, that that's a, that's a good thing to me, right? Mm-hmm. Engaging with the antagonist in multiple ways, in multiple uh, sort of styles and frames is good. Um, I realized this one is very unpopular with a, a segment of um uh, of gamers who get very upset if they feel like a death has been undone. And mm. I I feel like not every death gets to be accomplished with just, uh, so we put our, our rogue and our fighter on him and then that was it. Like, cool. Right. There has to be something a little more inventive than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, the, the lore of all kinds of different monsters can support that. Oh um, yeah, for sure. I mean, that is a, that liches, that, mummies and vampires sort of most of all. Right. But even without that, I mean, even if it's just a typical magic user or something enemy villain yeah, or, or the head of a faction, right. The head of organized crime or something, there can be lore in setting that the players, the PCs learn. It doesn't even have to be one of those sort of iconic creatures like a lich or or a vampire. It can be, you know, just a, a, a badass, you know, villain wizard or or it sure. could be it could be the head of an organized crime 
ring, right? Uh, but the the key sure. there is that the there is lore you can learn in setting that tells yeah. the PCs that informs them of the fact that you know you can't just you know walk up and punch the guy in the spleen and he's going to die, right? right. And you know it's very much everyone from from Dracula to Koshe the Deathless, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's that's just great stuff to me. Right. I'm I'm here for it all day. Mm-hmm. It was a big thing in um, the LARP that we ran, Dust to Dust. Uh, we had uh, you know, the lieutenants of the most foul. This you know rogues gallery of ten awful people, and uh, most of them had some kind of true death requirement mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then some of them were just so badass that like right. it, it, anything other than like we've convinced the villain to throw everything in and stick around till the end like, mm-hmm. th- they're just going to leave when they're tired of this we right. just don't have the firepower to uh, wreck them until they've decided that they're just not going to leave for anything Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. but you know over the course of the campaign the pcs didn't kill all of them uh they killed many of them uh one of them they you know removed the the curse upon her and uh, you know allowed her to be a hero again right right just her, her actual nature um and that was all just great to me uh, but that's not surprising you know mm-hmm. I, I ran a game that worked that way because that's the kind of thing I like right right um, if I hadn't liked it we would have done something else <laughs> um, yeah and, and you know that is also the thing about running a LARP mm-hmm. it, it wasn't just what I liked it was the the tropes that everyone in the, the committee could agree to right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which brings me to another one that we really, really loved, which is uh, named weapons, shields, and armor that have a ton of lore, and learning that lore matters. Right. I, I, I know I've talked about this on air before, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but that is a really important thing to me in world building and in the course of an adventure, right? Right. That if there's going to be a, a weapon, a shield, a suit of armor, whatever, at the center of this adventure, you know, tell me its history. How, why is it like this? Right. Right. Why is a person like this is just as interesting and valid as why is this special thing the way that it is? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I actually have that. So I, I, Here's my problem with this topic. I I wrote a list of sort of adventuring tropes that I enjoy, and I I can't pick a favorite, but I can I've got like I can maybe whittle it down to two, okay, and all the rest of them get honorable mention, right? Okay. Um, and what you just said is is, is one of – I'm going to demote it now down to honorable mention because you already kind of listed it. But hey. um, it's – what? <laughs> no, that's fine. Like, yeah. We're it's allowed the, to agree. Right, right. It's the, it's the um, you know, the, the, the artifact or MacGuffin uh, that is too powerful, too dangerous, so it has to be destroyed. Oh, okay. Sure. Is very very similar to the you have to get the special artifact to complete your quest. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, which is the I want the weapon, the big artifact or weapon that is required to kill the main villain, right? And yeah. it's not just some oh, it's a plus one sword. It's an actual artifact with history and lore, and you have to go get it, and you have to learn about it along the way. And when you use it, you discover different things, and you know that sort of thing. I love that. It's a great trope. So yeah, so that's kind of that 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 I put those both in the same category. Yeah, I mean, right. there's a lot of different ways to approach an adventure MacGuffin. Oh right? sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, it can really just be the thing everyone wants mm-hmm. because right, right. because they know they'll get a ton of money for it. 
right. Uh, right. You know, yeah. good enough for uh, early noir in mm-hmm. uh, Maltese Falcon. It's good, yep. good enough for us. Yep. 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 So, so here's one of my favorite ones and it is very cliche, but that's why it's an adventuring trope. Sure. And it is, uh, go retrieve this herb or medicine component so we can heal an important person. Sure. 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 Um, um, that's one of my favorites because it is very versatile. You can make that item that has to be recovered something natural or unnatural. That is, it could be just in a forest or in a desert or some sort of plant somewhere, or it could be something that only uh, sprouts in certain places that have been touched by certain planes or certain types of magic. And so then it becomes more of a, you know, environmental kind of thing going on there. Uh, or it could be that when you go get the ingredient, um, when you get back, some things have changed and are different from what you thought. And, you know, it's almost a bait and switch, but maybe that component isn't actually the person didn't need it to heal the person like you thought. And, you, oh, sure. up, you know, uh, having a different situation when you get back. Um, yeah. And just to reiterate something I have. Uh, said on this show before, mm-hmm. uh, there's a right way and a wrong way to do a bait and switch, oh, which yeah, is not yeah, to say I sure. think you would ever mm-hmm. use the right, wrong right. way, yeah, but yeah. the wrong way is anything oh, no. that makes the world I, less interesting. Yeah. No, no, I would. <laughs> I have, <laughs> yeah, wow. right? In the early days, right? I mean, right, that well, part of the part of sure. the reason why we know about these mistakes is because we've made them, right? Right. Uh, so, yeah. Present day Sam would not do this. Correct. That is true. <laughs> uh, right. It's just never let the new reality be less interesting than the uh, reality you initially promised. Correct. That, that's yep. the thing to look mm-hmm. out for. Right. Um, yep. it, more dangerous is great. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Uh, dangerous is interesting. Um, but I love a well done bait and switch that reveals a, a more exciting mysterious universe mm-hmm. than the one I thought I lived in. That's right. that's great to me. Yeah. Um, and sometimes the bait and switch in this particular case, you know, I was thinking of you bring the you bring the herb back, the rare herb that only blooms, you know, once per year at whatever place you bring it back. The, the herbalist or alchemist makes the concoction, the salve, whatever it is, uh-huh, and uh-huh. You, you help do the ritual and all this stuff. But the results aren't exactly what they thought. Sure. Right. It's not even that. So and in other words, I don't even mean it as you bring it back and the guy backstabs you, betrays you. And, you know, like, I don't mean that. I don't mean like bait and switch like that, where Uh it turns out you were working for the villain all along. Like, not even that, which that's not necessarily bad, but that's not even what I'm talking about. I just mean everybody's doing the right things for the right reasons, but then it just doesn't turn out. And and like you said, the key there is as long as it is more interesting than what it would have been previously, then it's okay to do that. Yeah, and um, it, it can be it can be tough to set that up so that it doesn't just feel like, well, that was a wild goose chase, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, we we did all that work and got nothing for it because we didn't heal the guy mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. So there's there's some definite um, pitfalls pitfalls mm-hmm. to sure. to look out for as you yep. as you build that kind of thing. But I definitely believe it can be done right. Yeah. So do you mm. have more? I mean, I have a whole giant list of. Things oh, I mean, yeah, I, I can, yeah, I can do this yeah, all day, yeah. right? Hit me, hit me with the next one. <laughs> um, so I love it when uh, you don't need to just go in and you know clear the dungeon room by room, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. you need to, in some sense, make the space yours and change it. Okay. Yep. Take ownership of the place. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily mean it becomes your new stronghold or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just right. like, um, oh, well, we repaired this one statue in this room, and now that's, that room is useful, uh, where previously it was terrible. Yep. yep. Right? That That is going to make me happy just every time. Mm-hmm. Um, because it turns the place into a character that can grow and change. Right. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love that kind of thing. Um, it it gives you ownership of of the setting in a really fun way. Um, 
I mean, we all know that I love domain management anyway, mm -hmm. but this is kind of the smallest, most personal scale of that that right. still fits fits into the context of, of an adventure. Yep. There are two sort of subsets of that or maybe parallel tracks, right? Okay, yeah. Um, one of them is clearing a, a, a wild area so that you can establish a new town. Okay, right? yeah. Um, which is, is sort of similar, but but it's wilderness instead of like in a dungeon or stronghold. And then there is um, clear or or uh, hold the 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 mountain pass so that trade can continue mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, despite whatever the other situation going on, whether it's bad weather or uh, bandits have overrun the place or you know uh, th there's some environmental disturbance, uh, earthquake or something that caused you know, cause some something there, right? Yeah. Uh, and so those those sort of three things, they're all, you know, clear this area and take control of it and take ownership in some way so that the rest of the world can be safer in this one area. Yeah. Um, so kind of related to um, where, I, where I started with, um, I want you to... Like, engage with the villain in different contexts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, something that I love is a situation where a, you know, a type of creature that you would normally be an enemy is you know, contextualized to be okay and someone you can have a different kind of interaction with in mm -hmm. this one case. Uh, you know, I'm fine if it doesn't recontextualize them for all cases. Mm -hmm. Right. But okay. So we're in a really strange situation. And actually, we should team up with this, let's say, vampire. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it actually makes good sense. We know what this person wants. We know why they want it. Honestly, we're kind of okay with them having it because mm -hmm. we have bigger fish to fry. Right. I love that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and that so is, that's very close to one of mine. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so in, in my uh, long-term setting uh, that has uh, meant that the, the PCs often are at least on speaking terms with cultists of one cult or another, mm -hmm. where the cult is actually kind of terrible. It's just that, there's always a worse problem right there to deal with. Right. And so like the, the lowercase B bad guys know not to show up until the all caps bad guys are a problem. <laughs> right. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and so I've gone through various contortions to, you know, help this happen um, in, in various cases because I do enjoy it so much. Um, and then th like there are some some of these uh, supernatural factions that are just never going to be okay because they're the ones that you're actually like no no one can be okay with this they're an existential threat to life we have to right. fight them right. and, and you know that that difference of gradation is is fun to me I'm a big fan of it yeah, the, the way that I have that uh, worded on my list is uh, let's play one faction against the other. Yep. Uh -huh. Right. V very much that. Very yeah. much that. And that is uh, the reason I like it is because, you know, whereas some of the things that we mentioned, like the anything with a MacGuffin or an artifact, right, that really relies on learning lore. Which I'm I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but that that relies on learning lore that you can get in various different ways. You can get it from a library or uh, from ancient texts or from a sage or whatever. Um, but playing a faction, playing one faction against another, requires social interaction, and that is a different way to learn lore. Right? Yep. It, it's it's about figuring out because you know this faction, they might be lower lowercase e evil right they might do some things that are not that great uh but they're not existential threat big e evil like they're going to bring down the planet yep. right and so 
they're and and they have something that that could help the party or the powers that be uh, powers of good in this case uh help you know defeat the big e evil right so we got that that's the setup the thing is though that in order to get the little e faction to help you you have to give them a reason why and to learn what that reason is going to be you have to get to know them so it's all about the social interaction and the the figuring out where the power balance is figuring out who the leaders are what they want what their motivations are and then it's a negotiation to give them something that they want so that you can get something you want in return that sounds very clinical the way i say it but but ultimately if think about this playing out over several sessions right yeah. because you are just trying to infiltrate that faction in a way that isn't damaging to the faction because you need it intact you need that faction's power structure to remain intact otherwise they're useless to you so you know it's it's a very interesting sort of balance and it's it's still about setting lore but it's in in a different way than learning about an artifact is which i i really enjoy that kind of play um with with the right players who are into that sort of thing it can sing right i mean like it's just brilliant Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we kind of touched on some of this when we were doing in Caridian of the West Marches this year, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. because Zerion's talks so much about set up these factions. Okay, they may not like the PCs, but they also hate each other. Right. Good luck. Yep. Mm-hmm. And exactly. that's that's perfect. Yes, yeah. it's great to me. Yep. All right, so let's let's get something else off your list. Okay, uh, so something that i quite enjoy there's a trope where uh the weather is unseasonable right there's uncommonly bad weather with what turns out to be an unnatural origin or maybe a natural origin that is caused by an unnatural artifact um and i don't mean this uh as a campaign wide campaign long scourge like say rhyme of the frost maiden sure but more as a more like a campaign starter, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, the thing that makes you get off your butt and go become an adventurer, nice. right? Is your town is being threatened by whatever this existential threat is that is manifesting itself as weather, whether it's keeping your crops from growing or it's uh, causing uh, everything to freeze and so that the crops won't even start to grow or whatever it is or, you know, lack of rain, right? So you're having a drought or, you know, whatever it is, right? Or maybe it's an earthquake, right? Something environmental, right, that has threatened the town, whatever small town you're from, and you have to figure out how to resolve that. And then along the way, you learn that you're a pretty good adventurer, you're pretty, you're, you know, you're a little big damn hero. And so right. you can solve this for your small town. Now you can actually take on stronger, larger threats. Right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's definitely, you know, the, the kind of uh, disorder in mm-hmm. the universe that Joseph Campbell wants to talk about. Right. right? Yeah. That, sure. That's very, very classic mm-hmm. and yeah. with good reason. Yeah. Um, um, in my own long-running campaign, uh, one of the first major villain arcs, um, and you know, th- there had been a lot of arcs before this. They just mm-hmm. were not about a central villain mm-hmm. in the way this one was. Yeah, um, it uh, wound up being about a- an evil angel that had a lightning sword. Right? Mm-hmm. It- it's it's the sword that. Um, the the good angels made so that there could be lightning in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. And so, like, lightning and thunder in this uh, very sort of low precipitation, arid region uh, were the signs of his presence. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, nice. And so I, I got good mileage out of that. Also, I got good mileage out of. Uh, him using a lightning curse that just made you vulnerable to lightning damage. Right. Which he was going to hit you with. Good luck. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yes, try to dodge that. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's a it's a bad time for some of the PCs, but yeah. well, they deserved it. <laughs> um yeah. yeah. But I, I like using environmental distress because um it's often questionable at the beginning, at least, whether that environmental stress is caused by a natural environmental event mm-hmm. that you have to try to resolve, or whether it's caused by a precipitating event based on some villainous action, right? And just having that be a question in the first place is good enough to keep a, a group going for several yeah. sessions, right? Um in terms of keeping the interest in learning lore and having to learn things about what's going on and what the situation is. And it sets up something where you're not, you don't immediately know who who's, who's doing this. Right. And it might, might not even be a person or a villain or a villainous faction. You just don't even know. And to me, there's a, there's a sweet spot in there of, you know, getting the, the, PCs to realize this is a, a living world, right? It's not just about heroes versus the villain. It's about the normal NPCs in the world have to live in the world too. And sometimes things beyond their control are affecting them. And sometimes you can help and sometimes you can't. Yep. And all of those sorts of things can come into this at various stages of trying to resolve that issue. And so I I find that a very uh flexible and easy to implement type of of trope and so i i i like that one quite a bit nice so my next one is something that uh, i did in kindle keep mysteries uh okay. in the scrivener's tale mm-hmm. um villains being able to like place a mark upon your soul a progressive mark where they gain more influence over you over time as you're resisting them or accepting the power or whatever nice. uh, where you need to like do something so that they don't like, gain control over you in a lasting way um and really the the thing i like is sort of broader than that it's just uh, i like a progressive clock mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. Uh, something really bad is going to happen at the end, and we need to, you know, worry about that rising tension with some things happening along the way. I mean, this is a, a classic of game design at this point. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It's a, a huge part of Apocalypse World and um, all of the Forge in the Dark games. Mm-hmm. They use use progressive clocks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same. It doesn't matter if you draw to the clock or a progress bar, whatever. No one cares. Right. Um, right. But I love that kind of thing. Um, in my own campaign, one of the ones I really liked was um, one that was called uh, The Eye is Turned Upon You. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of my elder evils is basically the super beholder, okay. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my lore for beholders is totally different. Um, right. But it's you know, the ultimate beholder is this this abomination and uh, so the PCs are going through this dungeon and I'm telling them as the clock labeled uh, the eye is turned upon you advances and you know they learn very quickly that it advances when they kill something mm, mm-hmm. uh, among other things that like failing a trap right. check can uh, getting hit by a trap can advance it and so I think they finish the adventure with uh, one tick left on that clock. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the party is around sixth or seventh level at this point. I mean, it's it's that campaign. So I think it was a mix of fifth through seventh or eighth level characters. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, if the clock had filled up, the dungeon was going to have a beholder stalking them in it. Nice. That's, that was that was the end, end game there, that right. did not quite happen, but it was really close. <laughs> um, but I love that kind of thing. Um, yeah, pr- progress clocks, c- clocks or some kind of measuring device to measure the. Basically, what we're talking about is the villain has a plan, right? Yeah, and the villain's plans are progressing despite what the party is doing a lot of the time 
right? Yeah. Um, because you don't spend, I mean, I mean, I guess I can only speak for myself. Even if I have an overarching plot, we don't spend in my game every single session doing just the overarching plot, right? Like that's boring. And it would be very quick, right? You yeah. do side quests and you meet people and you have things happen in the world that you have to take care of and all of that. And meanwhile, in the background, the overarching plot is marching on, right? Uh, and what I mean by that is the villain is still continuing to work their machinations to attain whatever their goal is. And sometimes the party is doing something that allows that clock to be advanced right right that's basically what we're talking about and those kinds of progressive clocks the way to measure that advancement of threat right it's like a threat clock right yep. there's some points on that clock face right where when it the time hits that time something is going to happen yeah right um and you know um i i like really big long-term ones where you know it, it might only even have a chance to advance like once a month once every mm -hmm. six months that's fine too right. yeah but, but but i think that you know uh shorter ones i'm not really talking about number of um pie slices so much as well we're either going to succeed or fail this in the next half hour right right yeah right? Yeah, yeah yeah i think yeah. i think all different yeah. scales of that really work right yeah no absolutely me too and i i was trying to present it in a way that yeah yeah you know there there can be an overarching one that's the main villain threat but then there's also because the party is taking care of things maybe not on that scale yep. well there're smaller clocks right i mean that's just that's just how it works right? yeah um for for the video game crowd uh, one of the best examples of this that you're going to see is in XCOM like games, you know, your XCOM, XCOM 2, mm -hmm. and also Massive Chalice uh, do this really, really well, where you have a bunch of different threat clocks you need to manage. And if a clock advances all the way, one of your asset streams just dries up forever mm -hmm. and there's no recovering it. And that is just emotionally brutal to see it happen. Right. Um, and in general, there's no escaping it in that style of game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the numbers are just weighted against you so that you can't stay ahead of all the clocks. So yeah. that, that can be a lot of fun. Um, but tuning it right is also um, something you need to spend some time on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, I, my personal thought about about that sort of thing is I know that a lot of GMs use clocks. Yeah. They just don't call it that. They're yeah. not really measuring it like that. They don't even necessarily make a visual, but they are thinking about, okay, what has to happen for the villain's plan to advance or if the party has a choice to make and they choose a instead of B, C or D, then the clock will advance. Right. Like, and so it's part of the prep and the thought process about the game for many, many GMs. They just don't necessarily think of it that way. Um, and so just, I'm just want to let people know, like, this isn't something that I think people don't do already. We, we, everybody does this. A lot of people do it. Right. Um, it's just a way to frame what's happening in the wider world to make it make sense to the party and make it so that they can also understand it and do something about it. Right. I mean, you're, you're not telling the party that, Oh, here, here's the clock and you just advanced a tick necessarily, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, okay. So one from me, mm -hmm. uh, this isn't one that I necessarily enjoy a whole lot. Um, but it's that's it's, a heck of a caveat. All right. It's a, well, I mean, I, Oh, go ahead. It, it's, it's just, it's a very common one. And I think uh, in order to make it work, it has to be done right. Otherwise it just sounds, it, it's too cliche. And that is uh, the King is ill and doesn't have an heir or oh, sure. the heir got kidnapped. 
Uh, I, I love a good succession crisis. A succession crisis can work. This is this is why I was trying to give a caveat, right? Sure. Is there can be a succession crisis, but that means that the party has to be in a position to do something about it, number yeah. one, and to care, number two. Right. And so, so getting always, PCs invested yeah. in politics is uh, always a, an uphill battle, and I have so many thoughts on how to help that happen. Right. And so that's all, that's all, that's the only reason I was trying to give the caveat because I, I, I just, I like this kind of storyline if it's done right, because just throwing some first level PCs who don't really have any knowledge about how things work in the kingdom or any connection whatsoever to things going on at court. Well, I mean, what do you expect them to do? Come on. You know, they, they might they, they don't go through the motions to earn some gold or something, but they're not really going to give a crap about it. Right. Right. Um, it really does come down to what what goal do I have? This helps me advance. Mm-hmm. Like if I already care about the. You know, kingdom or other polity involved. And defending them is on my list of goals, then great. Like job right. done. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, if you are small enough, Fry, uh, then there's the additional hurdle of why am I even on the hook to care about this? Right. Right. So, yep. it, you know, uh, setting PCs up as either members of a noble family or, um, you know the the agents of that family mm-hmm. if they aren't full members of it mm-hmm. or whatever that's all good stuff right um yeah and um there is one that sort of is a thing that i ran into in writing about the dmg uh, that i have not actually had any kind of chance to implement but um Getting villains to be motivated by, uh, like, romantic goals, Mm. Uh, like, they are motivated by trying to create a romantic relationship. They're doing horrible things to do this, (laughs) but I'm really interested in, like, where that could go. And, you know, can you stop the villain just by explaining to the intended intended romantic partner no this guy's terrible you need to never ever you know let this happen it, like that could be an interesting alternate victory condition yeah uh, interesting um, hmm. so in the the 13th age game that i play in there's a running joke that isn't a joke at all it's it's actually just what happens uh, that the, the all the players in that game, including me, are really interested in finding um, interesting alternative ways to solve problems, and this very often leads us to, you know, what if we set up a wedding between you know these two characters, and that will solve the problem for this uh, sometimes rather abstruse reason. Right. right. That mm-hmm. that's great stuff when it works because uh there's still plenty of time for good high drama fights. Uh some of them in the middle of a wedding, which is great. Everybody <laughs> loves a good wedding fight, right? Of course. Um, and so I mean, is it even a wedding without a good wedding fight? Uh you know, I, I knew we left something out. Yeah. <laughs> um and so that's uh, it, can, it can be a lot of fun, um, and that has been a major recurring thing in that game. In, in some cases, set up by the PCs, and in some cases, it was just the sort of narrative frame around a whole series of sessions. It was it was a, a adventure arc mm-hmm. that was um, attending a you know multi day wedding party. Uh, well, actually, it's an engagement party, but yeah, it was really cool. 
but it, it again comes down to just uh, approaching adventure in an unusual, unexpected way. You know, uh, mm-hmm. we had a mystery to solve and uh, fell deeds to uncover in this, you know, fantastic party. We were surrounded by um, the the serpent emirs, who basically snake fey, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, that was really interesting. We were, you know, helping some of them, uh, opposing others. Just there's all kinds of political machinations, right, and right. the truly amazing thing of it was how many NPCs the GM got us to remember as individuals. <laughs> nice. Uh, I, I think the count wound up north of 15 NPCs that we needed to remember by name and remember what they cared about, and the fact that that worked at all is just mind-boggling. Yeah, that's because because there were all new introductions in that adventure. None of these were people we already knew. Mm. Um, so, like that, hats off. That was incredible. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. Um, and a lot of my taste for this kind of, you know, the villain's plot is romantic in nature mm-hmm. comes from uh, Bernard Cornwell's the warlord chronicles where um, one of the main antagonists, the hero can't do anything about and a, a real anti-hero character uh, wind up getting together. And this makes things worse for everyone except the two of them specifically. Right. And <laughs> that I found that really interesting in the course of that story. Is the, these two horrible people find each other, and that just makes everything more horrible. <laughs> but in a way that, you know, for essentially social reasons, right. um, the protagonist can't do anything about. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, it's also fair to say that uh, probably nothing outside of. The Chronicles of Prydain has been as influential in my imagination as Bernard Cornwell's The Warlord Chronicles. Just throwing that out there. Okay. So, <laughs> huge influence on just everything that I think is cool. Yeah. Um, hmm. Interesting. I think it's it's really difficult to have rom- romance or a, a romantic relationship be a cornerstone of of part of the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I agree that it is difficult. It's just very difficult to maintain that and make it meaningful in a way that affects decisions, right? That the, mm-hmm. that the party would make, that the players would make for their PCs. Um, that's a that's a feat to pull off. That's that's impressive. Yeah. Um, the thing that got me thinking about this when we were, was when we were going through the DMG, looking at chapter four, mm-hmm. um, the chapter on villains and villainous motivations. Um, I started thinking about like, that one of them is something like the villain is seeking marriage with someone of a very high status. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about that across different tiers of play because sort of, okay, the villain is seeking, um, you know, the, the Baron's child's hand in marriage. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. The Baron is local importance. Okay. King or emperor next step up. Cool. Mm -hmm. Still, still solid. That's, I mean, um, villains trying to, uh, you know, force the the king to give them the princess's hand in marriage, is one of the oldest ones in the book. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it, you know Disney's Aladdin springs right to mind because I watched it the other night, um, <laughs> and it's it's a precise case of that. Right. Um, but then it got even more interesting as I started going to, okay, so what does this look like in tier three and four? 
Mm-hmm. So, okay, the um, the caliph of the city of Brass. Okay, got my attention. Um, that that gets the city of Brass involved, um, and that's a whole like uh, faction that the PCs need to move very carefully around because that's a lot of genies right. up in your business if you mm-hmm. get it wrong. Um, Look, folks, you don't even want one genie up in your business. When you have a lot of genies up in your business, right? You're, you're just, I'm sorry, you're just, you're screwed. Right. And that's, that's potentially great. You know, genies are a, a great tier three um, mm-hmm. right. Going, faction, yeah, to, faction. Yep. to to engage with mm-hmm. because with, with the city of brass, they aren't even necessarily enemies. They're right. just mm-hmm. providing, um, a very electrified fence around your actions. Right. If you try to go too far this way or that way, you're pissing somebody off and that's perfect. Right. Um, maybe you need to go there and piss them off to get where you want to go. Or maybe you can think of a way around that. And right. that, that's a, that's a really cool constraint to me. Um, and so you know, there are other um, cosmic city states that could have something similar to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether we're talking about, um, you know, uh, Tunarath, I, I don't know who the romantic interest is in Tunarath. Do not let it be uh, the Lich Queen Vlakith. That's gross. <laughs> that is just gross. Um, Look, she's who, horrible. who are you to judge her desires? Okay. <laughs> um, that has an answer. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> we can move on. <laughs> uh, well, so the thing is, I remember too keenly the lore around Githyanki and the fact that she devours them when they reach mm-hmm. a certain level. Right. So that's yeah. gross. <laughs> um, Very but anyway. Like, lots of insects do that. Anyway. Yeah. Um, anyway, that, that kind of that kind of thing could be really interesting getting into just cosmic scale, um, you know, uh, alliances, inheritances, mm-hmm. all that kind of thing. Um, which just reminds me of something I've always wanted to do. I've never gotten around to, which is to, to come up with some incredibly convoluted reason that the PCs inherit um, a, uh, like a, a townhouse or something in the city of brass <laughs> or, or city of yeah. dis or something uh-huh, equally right. weird. And like, why, what we have, we have property where, um, right. okay. <laughs> um, just because it would you know, give them something to, you know, give them a little bit of a, a stake in the game. Right. And maybe they immediately go and sell it. Fine. Fine, you can have your money. Fine, right? Just maybe I can convince them to stay. Those players who just go sell it—they are the enemy of fun. Well, (laughs) that's (laughs) look in in this housing market. Can you blame them? (laughs) So, um, so yeah, that that is kind of where I imagine that going in this trope that I have never actually used, but imagine wanting to use, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Interesting. Well, my next one on my list is much more, well, relatively mundane. Right. Uh, and that is, I just love a necromancer as the enemy. Oh, sure. Where you have, uh, uh, they start out uh, as a lowly sort of uh, wizard's apprentice and you catch them or they get caught, you know, digging up bodies at the local graveyard to to steal bones uh, for their experiments. And then they get a little bit more power and then they disappear for a while and then they get a little bit more power and then they come back and they're a little bit more powerful. And then you mm-hmm. vanquish them somehow, although they're not dead. So then they come back a little bit more powerful and ultimately – you have a very powerful necromancer who is now causing strife throughout the valley and uh, perhaps is causing rifts between, you know, the shadow plane or the negative energy plane or uh, 
conjuring responses by the gods of the dead, you know, that sort of thing where you start out with, you know, okay, they're digging up bones in the graveyard and you end with, okay, this could really mess up everything. Right. Well, and and that really sort of fits in with the need for a true death, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Because if they get vanquished at some point and come back, well, that wasn't their true death. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 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 And uh, rabbit is uh, uh, adding in, the point that the thing where they sell the town home in the city of brass uh-huh. uh, or whatever could be super cool. Uh, if there's a politically messed up bidding war, uh, <laughs> yeah. she says uh, like in the Sandman comic with the key to hell in season <laughs> of mists. So, yep. I stand corrected. That could be amazing. Yep. Yeah. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, before you sell this property, you have to bring it up to code. <laughs> oh, so Colin did that to the PCs in his Alcadim game. Oh, um, nice. He gave them, you know, their their family manor, but it needed a lot of upgrades. <laughs> it had, had problems, and so like we all know that in fifth edition, like you might get a lot of money, and then sort of be thinking, "What am I going to do all this money?" <laughs> that was that was his answer, right? Yeah, you're gonna spend it on the house and mm-hmm. having cool stuff at the house, and they really invested in that, like emotionally. Yes, and be- uh, before before that campaign, did he have everybody watch the the uh, money pit? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I assume he watched a lot of this old house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. was Bob Vila an NPC? <laughs> I, I sure hope so. <laughs> Except you know it's Al Qadim, so yeah. Uh, Pseudo Arabic Bob Field. Right, sure. Um, uh, and that gets me to another um, like campaign level trope that I love, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is the party having a shared asset. Mm, nice. Yeah. Whether it's yeah. some sort of ship, could be the Millennium Falcon, could be, you know, the Serenity. I, I don't care what the shared asset is, does not matter. I love parties having shared assets that they all in emotionally invest in improving. Mm-hmm. That makes me super happy. Um, I mean, if you were to have some kind of um, uh, apparatus of Qualish, maybe mm-hmm. that had mm-hmm. some kind of upgrade track, that's it's tiny, but I love it. I, yep. I, I'm, I'm a fan. Um yeah. Not to call it anyone's campaign in specific, Sam. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. um, but like yeah. I, I ran Mage of the Awakening and in, in each of my chronicles, the PCs treated their um, th- their home base as a really cool place they wanted to improve. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only thing that can make that Hey, our home base is really cool. We're invested in it. We want to improve it. Better for me is if there's also stuff you don't know about. Right. So mm-hmm. it's your shared asset, but there's still mysteries to unfold in it. Mm-hmm. Whether that means uh, we found a secret door in our house. Uh, that's not supposed to be there. Right. Like, that's great to me. I yeah. did that with um, the PCs in my long-term Orakesh campaign. Um, they, they found that there's a dungeon under the guild hall. Mm, and nice. so they've been going down there and, you know, it's suitably horrible for right. their level of play. Sure. There's a, there's another thing about hideouts that I, that I like, and it's sort of a corollary to the PCs having a hideout or shared asset slash resource slash home base to, uh-huh. to, to keep uh, adding to. And that is, if you have a location that is owned by an NPC, n- not enemy NPC, not a, uh-huh. not necessarily a villain, just a contact slash resource. Um, I have this uh, NPC that often shows up in in many of my games. Uh, his name is Clancy Sherrar, and he is a, um, a halfling a merchant of some sort, and he is uh, overwhelmingly wealthy. And he's completely over the top. He dresses in these horrible garish clothing that is uh, super 
offensive in terms of the color combinations are, you know, giving you a headache and not matching and they just look absolutely ridiculous. But uh, he is wealthy enough that you get the feeling that he is very dangerous because he's so wealthy. He could have things done that no one would know about Mm -hmm. because he has the money to pay for those things. However, he's benign. Yeah. In terms of, you know, he doesn't, he's not actually evil. He doesn't want um, bad things to befall uh, the main players in the campaign. But when you go to his, his house, it's one of those where you can tell that he loves his house the same way that the party loves their hideout or their shared asset or that. And so you, you kind of get this, um, this understanding, right. And respect of, okay, we could never do something to damage his house. Cause this is his safe place. You know what I mean? Just like our hideout is our safe place and we don't want somebody coming in there and all over the floor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting if you can get a situation where the party has a relationship with a dangerous but relatively benign NPC who has an asset like that mm-hmm. because there is an unspoken understanding, right? That, okay, that's their asset. We have ours. We know that that's kind of, it's, it's like, um, it, it's almost like, a. uh, <laughs> this is really dumb, but you know that movie Sister Act, right? Sure. Yeah. Where Who- Whoopi Goldberg is uh, in witness protection, and so she's she's a nun. She's not really a nun, but she's she's dressed like a nun. She's acting like a nun, and the two thugs go in and they find her there, and they recognize her, and they go chasing her around, and they have a chance to actually kill her, which is what they were sent to do was to get right. rid of her because she's going to testify, and they can't do it. Because one of them's like, I can't kill a nun, right? Right. Especially in a church. I can't I can't kill a nun in a church. Like, I just can't do it. And the other one's like, are you kidding? She's not a nun. You know, we know who this is. And the one is like, do we really want to take that chance? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like maybe she actually is and we just don't know. And I don't, I'm not taking that chance. And it's kind of that level of weird kind of respect almost where you have an individual with an asset and you know what it's like to have that asset and you know you don't want it to be messed up so they definitely don't want it to be messed up so there's a a mutual agreement okay we're not gonna we're not gonna have our fight here in the bar we're gonna go out on the street and have the rumble you know what i mean it's always very interesting if you can if you can get a lot of player buy-in for that sort of interaction in a town you know, or, or in a, in an adventuring location like that, really, it's always kind of fantastic to me when that happens. Cause it's almost a magical, cause that, that really shows me that the, the world is a living world to yep. those players, right? Yep. It's that's, not just in really my awesome. brain. It's, it's also in their brain. Yeah. And, uh, it was not specifically around, you know, this, this tavern or whatever is a dangerous asset, mm-hmm. but just, I, I got the PCs to show the kind of value of the asset that I was looking for in uh, my campaign when I explained that, okay, so uh, this th- this public house, the Leaping Stag, is the one where everyone from your company goes to drink and it's it's yours, right? right. You don't you don't own it, but you're mm-hmm. always welcome here. Like right. it would take so much to wear out your welcome that it's not worth mentioning. Uh, and then you have this rival uh, mercenary company in town, and their public house is Greyfriars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, if you go in there, you know it's going to start a fight. That's how you start a brawl in this town: is for someone in your company to go try to drink at their bar. That's right. that, that's just a brawl waiting to happen. Yeah. And like, yep, they did that. It was great. <laughs> like, nice. The, yeah. Uh, they they went and sat down. They they had their meeting, and at the end of the meeting, they had a big burly brawl. Shots were fired. It was awesome. <laughs> nice. Yep. Yep. And I mean, you know, there's a reason why 
this sort of thing happens in television shows too, right? Like yeah. uh, if you watch any kind of cop drama whatsoever, you'll know that uh, the cops don't hang out at the at the biker bar on a regular basis, right? And the bikers don't come into the bar that's across the street from the courthouse where all of the, you know, prosecutors and and cops go and investigators go at the end of the day to, you know, for happy hour, right? Right. Yeah. Like yeah. they you just don't those places exist and they are a somewhat neutral territory, you know, cuz nobody wants the fight to break out there, but you're not going there unless you have a specific reason to go there. Because you know that a, a fight could break out, right? But that's a that is a horribly tropey. But the reason why that's a trope and and that it works in those shows is because it's also really close to real life. Yeah, right. Like like that is true. Those kinds of bars and and hangouts those exist, and you don't necessarily go to those without an invite, so to speak. Right. Like if you if you don't match the clientele of that place, you generally don't go there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to be awkward. You don't right. really want to be someplace exactly. where it's awkward. That's right. Yep, exactly. So anyway, I only have one more on my list. Okay, bring it on. I mean, we could talk about these things forever. I mean, I, I, I could keep adding, like even just right now, I'm thinking of five other ones, right? But, I mean, same. Yeah, yeah. But so here's here's the, the – this is the easiest, quickest, most obvious adventure trope, uh, and it's still fun to this day. And that is loot the tomb, man. Go loot the tomb. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, very, uh, very Indiana Jones of you. Yep. You no, know, yep. belongs in a museum. So do yep. you. Yep. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I saw that. I don't know if you saw it, uh, but there's a. Uh, I think I might have mentioned it last time too. But the there's a, a a picture going around of Indiana Jones of of, of Harrison Ford, right? Yeah. And it says something like, uh, I, you know, I. I I heard some fans or some people express disbelief that Harrison Ford was playing Indiana Jones yet again, you know, and the, the person was like, but, you know, an 80 year old archaeology professor who hasn't retired yet, this is like the most real thing in that franchise. So <laughs> that's right. So, you know, this is the true thing. Why are people complaining? That's right. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you have a final one? Uh, oh, you know what? I'm I'm gonna say um, I really like a storyline that is about uh, revolution or the possibility of revolution. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially if the campaign has shown in pretty good detail why the people who are going into revolt are doing so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um that that is good fun to me that is uh you know talking about power structures and uh why people might need to fight them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and you know uh that's been a, a major part of my uh long-running arakesh campaign uh they're still in revolt against the prince of the domain where their city is. Nice. Um, then in my birthright campaign, uh, the very first thing that happened was uh, one of the uh, one of the generals, one of the warlords of the kingdom, uh, taking a third of the army and going into revolt. Mm, nice. He thought he was going to get more more than a third of the army, but right. that's what happened instead. <laughs> um, yeah, but, that was a miscalculation. But that was also part of an inheritance crisis. It's just mm -hmm. that the PC who became the king was the crisis. Oh, I see. Uh, th there was not an obvious heir, but whoever should have been heir, um, a large number of people did not think it was him. <laughs> right. And so that was a major storyline in that yeah. campaign was, you know, okay, you, you inherited, you're an outlander. Why did he pick you? Right, and that just that that was a that was our story. Um, yeah, cool. So I think that's going to be it for me on this topic. Yeah, me too. I mean, again, we could probably talk for another three hours on this. Easily. That seems right. 
Um, and maybe we do want to return to it at some point. Yeah, maybe that might be something to to address later on. Um, but otherwise, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Well, for the time being, you can still find me on uh, Twitter. Every single day that goes by, I question that decision a little bit more. <laughs> um, but uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brenda Stoddard. Uh, I'm also on Mastodon uh, at Brenda Stoddard at dice.camp. Um, I write for tribality.com. Our personal blog is brendastoddard.com. And I have a Patreon that is Brenda Stoddard. For as little as $1 a month, you can support my writing and get all of my blog content for brendastoddard.com three days earlier. How about you, Sam? Uh, well, I, like you, I tweet at Twitter at DM Samuel and I toot at Mastodon at <laughs> DM Samuel at dice.camp. They do call it tooting because, you they, know, elephants, they toot, right? Do they? Um, yeah. I mean, that's what they call. I swear to God. <laughs> do we know what noise Mastodon's made? I mean, I don't know, but, you know, an elephant, if it, if it blows air strongly out of its nose it makes a toot noise i don't know man i i don't know i don't know but elephants are awesome mastodons were probably awesome also and if they want to say they toot i'm okay with them saying they toot i, I, I don't know <laughs> well uh, you get to decide you're the biologist <laughs> um and you can find me on rpgmusings.com or on youtube at rpg musings and otherwise yeah that's kind of it i think it's going to take us out we hope you are having a wonderful holiday season. Bye.